Skype. Mm. Hmm. Press the pick up the phone button. Nothing happens. What? I had to hmm. press it a second time. Then it hmm. picked up. Hmm. It's just testing me. It's just, just, mm-hmm. it's just uh, probing, testing. Just keeping on your what my limits are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there used to be, didn't there used to be like an early internet test of uh, intelligence? Purported to be something about intelligence. And it was, the basic result was like how long you kept doing the test before you realized it was a shaggy dog. I don't remember that one, but that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, very good idea. I, it's always on my mind. I'm always looking for the catch. Uh, how you doing? You good? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You sound well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to restart all my things. Got to update my call I'll take recorder. your time. This, this is a hard, very difficult uh, show to start sometimes. I told you, your, your expectations are miscalibrated. I do that. What makes you think, what, what makes you think that? Well, I, maybe all right. So maybe my expectations are miscalibrated. Mm-hmm. My, Time to change your mind, buddy. Right. My expectations are that when you start recording a show like Roderick on the Line, when you say "Hi, John," and he says "Hi, Marlin," <laughs> that that is that that is actually the the initiation of the call. Right? Is that true? With possibly, we don't always get it exactly right with that exact back and forth, but with maybe. I'm going to say maybe six, but more like three exceptions ever. Yes. Right. And so that's that's calibrating your expectations to say, I expect that I'll be able to start any podcast from the moment that the Skype call picks up. We'll have a ritual greeting and then we will kick immediately off into a story about the pills I take now. That, and that's that, not that's, that that's an unreasonable how, expectation. That is absolutely how every podcast should be conducted. Almost almost every podcast should be conducted as though it were happening before a studio audience and you can't edit it. Everybody would be so much better, so I much mean, better. Well, we do that, but I'm just saying it's a slower start. People are different. Like you can't expect that we're just going to be right out the gate. I could right? be. So, Why can't you be? How about you calibrate your expectations? Yeah, Why don't well, you pick it up? What do you mean you can be? If you can be, then you do it. Neither mm-hmm. one of us can be. I wait a minute. Let's let's start over. Which one am I? You you need to step up your game. You hit that microphone button a third or fourth time. We start recording. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe if I get, maybe it activated on the first try, I'd be ready to go. <laughs> it's got you off your game now. Yeah. yeah, you know what it was? Honestly, the first podcast that I did a lot for some period of time was Mac Break Weekly, which mm-hmm. was um well, anyway. What I will say, what I will say about doing that program was it was very much banged into our head that there was not going to be editing unless something went horribly wrong. And I think it was a great training camp. I really do. And even yeah. with you look nice today, I mean as as heavily edited, as artfully edited as that show was, we did do the show pretty much like it was live. There was never a point where we went, oh, let's stop and do that again. Or, you know sure, what I mean? Sure. Or, or, or we didn't CGP gray it where we've got extensive notes on changing what I said so I sound smarter. Mm-hmm. I Which think never a, works, by the way. Don't try to do that. You can tell. You can tell the shows you that sure edit too much, too much editing. And you can tell us, sometimes you can just smell a second take, you know? It just mm-hmm. really... We only ever did that that I can recall once on You Look Nice Today. We had a bit that was so good. It might have been technical or it might have just been a, me- a human mess up. But yeah, there was one bit we redid one time. And a careful listener could probably find it. But other than that, we, we always did it that way. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be funny here. But I, I do think it is a good practice to not expect an edit to be needed unless that is the kind of show that you're doing. 
Yeah, I'm not looking for an edit. I'm just looking for a, a you know to ease myself in. To the, why, what why do they call it? Ease yourself they, in. They call it zero entry. What is that? With the swimming pool is like uh, has like a shallow like like it slopes down smoothly to the deep end. Right? Oh, you know, like where it starts off where it's up just mm. up to your toes and it's inch deep. I don't know if I'm getting the term for that right. I don't think you're even ready to get in the pool. You show up here, you show up here six thirty Pacific oh, time. No, you're diddling with your freaking dials. You know what that does for six our audience? Six thirty. What? Six thirty. Six thirty. I understand. We I had tofu maybe that's we had, the problem. Maybe maybe the problem is the difference between uh six thirty Maryland and nine thirty John. Mm. Oh no, no, this is kind of your six thirty. You're a night <laughs> no, owl. My six thirty was at six. You stay up all night playing your video games. I know that about you. The pros and cons of a zero entry pool. Pros and cons of a zero entry pool. Zero entry pools, also called beach entry pools, are beach. currently all the rage. Hmm. July nineteen uh, July eighth, twenty sixteen. <laughs> Still true. Still true. I hate hmm. getting in the pool. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I, I, I embarrass my daughter so much because it takes me like 45 minutes to get in the pool. She just goes, yeah, jump in. Just jump in. I'm like, I don't want to jump cold. in. It's cold in the yeah. pool. I don't I like it. that old people have uh, bad circulation. I'm taking B12. I'm taking a lozenge. <laughs> I'm taking a, a, a super dose of B12 now. Mm-hmm. And even after two days, I feel like a different person. I'm ready, I'm ready to start a podcast. I show up on time like a gentleman. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, even, I ate well today. I ate well. I had a salad for lunch, and I had tofu, brown rice, and broccoli for dinner. I'm a good, good boy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your problem is. Hmm. We started a new ritual um, um, Thursdays after pickup. We walk down to a local park, and she tells me the entire plot of this very long series of books called Wings of Fire in excruciating detail. I think one or both of my kids are have read that or are reading it. They're you know what? They're good. I mean, it, it kind of feels like the basis for a role-playing game with the different types of dragons. But like, you know, and I get quizzed on it. Like, did I understand what the dragonettes are? And like, what is it that's special about an ice wing? And, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But they're actually pretty good. And they've got a graphic novel out now. But um, but we went to a dog park. We walked through a dog park. I've been, I've been, I've been dog shopping, dog window shopping. <laughs> a phrase that does life. not go over well when you talk to people about their dogs. You sound like a real creep when you say you're dog shopping. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess you have to maybe come up with a different word for it. But more importantly, are you entertaining the idea of bringing a dog into your life? I am not. Mm-hmm. I am. I should send you a recent photo of Princess Floof. You got to see Star because Wars as as uh, as big a problem as your weird cat thing that you have is. Dogs are even more work. Oh, I've had two dogs. Well, not had in a biblical sense, but I, I've companioned uh, two dogs in my life. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Cats, are, cats are so much easier. You know, and the fact that cats don't like you is actually such a blessing in so many ways. <laughs> it's, you, just, if you, just, you don't expect affection, and it makes everything so much easier. Did oh, you God. send me something? Or I'm, you going think you to, something? I'm going to right now. Um, my message is okay? Oh, sure. God. She's not. Since we since we um, severed our ties with the the lady in the van, she yes. hasn't been groomed in a while. <laughs> That's she's into like her Winston Churchill phase. <laughs> Did you watch that movie? Dark, uh, Darkest Hour. With, uh, no, the most recent. Uh, I was thinking of uh, John Lithgow uh, on The Crown as Winston Churchill and how ill cast he was in many ways. You think so? I've got some good follow up on uh, the concept of The Crown. Um, Boy, that movie is. Yeah, I've seen it uh, advertised in Netflix, but I have no desire. You know, when I when I was visiting not London, it's not good. Uh, it's like it's like a, it's like a bad Stephen Moffat Doctor Who episode. It's so silly. It's a very silly movie. 
when was I visiting London? In like in the summer or something? Anyway, yeah, yeah uh, you walked a lot and didn't know how to use your credit card. Yep. The one and only time I was in London, uh, when the movie we saw there was uh, Their Finest Hour, something. It was a very British movie mm-hmm. uh, that I had never even heard of until I went. I don't even know if it was released in the United States. But when I saw that Winston Churchill movie, I, I just thought, uh, no. But if see, if I was in London, maybe it'd be like, oh, I should watch that because it's a very British movie. Boy, sometimes you just get a whiff. It's going to be that kind of movie where it's going to be that kind of like, you know, like uh, my friend Max Tempkin talks about the like the fake smart TV shows, like TV shows that know the gestures of being prestige TV, but there's nothing very substantial to it. Mm-hmm. And I really felt that with this. It's like, oh, I get it. This is this is like Oscar bait for people in the suburbs. It was so bad. Ugh, I don't know. I, it was very, very silly. I got to close this window on your cat because the, Isn't gross, she a sweetie? the gross scum collected around the eyes. Eh, it's and not the, scum. The it's, a, it's a natural secretion. It's totally natural. It's, it's gross. Well, just, you know, hundreds don't of years. Don't cat's face? Who's not yes, cleaning this cat's face? Like three times I clean week. my dog's boogs every morning. It's I her boogs butt every that's morning. hard. Her butt is just eldritch horror. You, you just well, don't even yeah, want to know I'm, what's I'm, going I'm on not, back I'm not, there. I'm, I'm going to give you a pass on the butt, right? But yeah. I'm just saying the hmm. face. Mm-hmm. Give me something about that. She's a precious angel. Look at that face. Oh, look at that. Look at how sweet she, she, looks, she is. She looks better with fur than the terrible sort of drowned rat mm-hmm. shaved look. Yeah. She's got a couple knots that are really hard to get out. All right, well, put this in the show notes so people no, can see what we're, what no, we're dealing no, with here. No, no, I'm going to start drawing a really, as they say, a red line. I'm going to draw a red line on all these people posting photos of things. It's got to stop. Oh, no, you put a picture of one of these pictures, not the second one. The second one, she looks bad. Dickensian. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't she looks like, looks like she picks pockets for Fagin? Kitty cat Fagin. <laughs> well, you're something you'd find in one of the pockets. <laughs> not... The first one was definitely her glamour shot. The Man. second one, now we're down to just no. It's looking grim. Look, that's my weighted blanket. She's laying on there. Yeah, no, I was. It, I should. There, let's put that next to your sleep hat. Where is that? Oh, sleep hat's still in there. I thought we took that out. Oh God, uh, yeah, it's still in there. We have so okay. much better stuff. We've got to clean this thing out, John. This is a mess. Ah, oh, my new microwave pan is not working out. Um, what else retirement? We got oh, some, some follow up before we yeah, get to the. I know, I know. I added in, in you know, I added homework. Oh my god! Watching my kid do arithmetic is just—I have no idea what she's doing. I want to—I want to stop and correct her. She's doing all these things with drawing on different lines and making little, little carrots, and uh, and then she gets the right answer. And I have no idea what she's doing. It's like a magic trick. You don't need to know. I don't need to know. Do you want to start with yours or mine? Uh, yours at the top. Okay, I put it up there because I think it's good. We um, Last week we were talking about stuff having to do with royalty, and I feel like you were struggling for the term that means the person, you, you tell me, but you were struggling for the word that stands for person who sits in for the king or queen. That's right. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? What, mm-hmm. Like what, 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 can, before we get to these answers, conceptually what was it you were trying to get out? Like in what situation would this noun stand in for the monarch? It's the dude in Lord of the Rings. That's what I was trying to think of. Uh, are you talking? Are you talking about Agent Smith? No, and no. In in Lord of the Rings, okay. uh, the the king is is not there in uh, Minas Tirith, and mm. he, there's the little chair next to the throne, mm. where the guy who's not the king but who's watching over everything while the king is gone, okay, sits, and that's the word I couldn't find. Okay, and I had thrown out the idea of the crown, which was definitely wrong, but I want to return to because it's super interesting. We had two listeners, oddly enough, in like directly, like right after one another, uh, piping in. Uh, Williams, Scott Williams uh, says, did you, uh, Stuart, 
was the word he thought you meant. Did you mean steward? That is exactly what I meant. Interesting. The other other uh, contestant was uh, O-H-P-L-E-S, O-plus. Wondered if you meant regent. No, I meant uh, the steward of Gondor. <gasps> the steward of Gondor. Now, is, is the king a human? Haven't you seen Lord of the Rings? The movies, yeah, at least. I've I seen it a bunch read of times. I, st- I still don't understand it. Well... Did you know the wizards, the wizards are angels? Did you know that? Yeah, I know. We all saw the video. Did we? Did we see that? Yeah. The little guys with the beards, they're good at making like tools and swords and stuff. Mm-hmm. See, they, uh, they're called me Vikings. and knew beforehand about the, uh, you know, angel wizard business. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know what an ant is. <laughs> Piker. He knows. he knows. Oh, he knows. <laughs> He's no Ted Leo. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, high uh-huh. bar, but... Ted Leo, well, I, you know, Colbert. Now, that's a guy that seems to know a lot of... Uh, there you go. Another very high bar. Yeah. He was riding around on the same Segway I have today. Was he? Oh, well, he's him he's got the one with the sous vide attachment. They look the same as yours, no, superficially, but no, obviously everyone has better one than you. No, shut up. God, I'm so angry. He, uh, he has the one that I have. It's got the really uh, the cool wheels. You hmm. can tell. Uh, so I'm going to read you this paragraph from the Internet Science page. The crown is the state in all its aspects within the jurisprudence of the commonwealth realms and their subdivisions, paren, such as crown dependencies, provinces, or states, see also CGP Gray, who apparently will be a theme this episode. The term is a metonym for both the state and the reigning monarch. So the, so the queen is not the crown. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, uh, like Father, Son, Holy Ghost type situation, right? Yep. Well, you don't eat them. Hmm? What, a spirit? Yeah. Uh, the you drink crown. a spirit. The crown. You don't eat the crown. Like, like Crown Royal, you mean? <laughs> Royal Crown, I think, is a is a disused uh, soda type. Probably took too much caffeine today. State in all its aspects within the jurisprudence. I think it's a very interesting concept. I was trying to explain, oh God, utterly failing to Merlin Mansplain uh, the distinction. Like, what my daughter actually asked straight up, like, what is a prime minister? And I thought I had a really good answer. But it, it came out really dumb. I was trying to explain, like, my conception of this is that in certain kinds of governance or just countries, you have you might have royalty who do ceremonial things and are very important to the story, but that the prime minister is the political the person in power to do political things internally and externally. How would you describe a prime minister to a 10-year-old? My, my only education about these systems of government is by watching British television shows, mm-hmm. which I'm sure are not particularly accurate representations of the way government actually works. But more importantly, they are not meant to teach me how the system of government works. So I'm sure they leave lots of important things out. So I kind of right. get the whole things about coalition governments and trying well, and to... And like we can just call an election or like in that terrible right. Winston Churchill Votes movie. No like confidence. And, yeah, and, right. And like, co- we want to get rid of Chamberlain. We're going to have Churchill now. Marr. Yeah. It, it, I don't understand how it works. It seems... I don't know if it's more complicated than our stupid system, uh, but it seems like it's more complicated. Probably <sighs> mostly in a good way. Yeah. Uh, but they're also... Every time I see like Parliament on TV, they're like yelling at each other and stuff. You ever, watch, you ever watch Questions? Questions of the Prime Minister? You ever watch that? No. Oh, it's so freaking good. There's a weekly... I, they used to be on... What was it? C-SPAN? But I'm not sure. They would show it in the States. And this is in the John Major era that I was watching it. But basically there's... I, I don't know if it's a custom or if it's a law or a, if it's on a prophecy scroll or something. But the Prime Minister makes uh, him or herself available once a week to answer any questions from members of parliament. And it's an, an incredible piece of theater. You know, I would wonder if my distinguished, the distinguished mm-hmm, gentleman would acknowledge mm-hmm. that he's a big piece of crap and duty. 
Mm-hmm. I would refer the gentleman to my previous answer. And like it's well, and you stand right. up and sit down and it's it's very theatrical. And then there's like booing and hissing from the crowd so and much hearing. Booing. Yeah, right. Right. It's all it's it's like a big lunchroom uh, you know, argument between uh two students with big factions. And and but the I mean there is very little in the world of governance that I can't now see and be depressed about the state of affairs in the U.S. And if I were to look at this thing now, I'd have to think, look, uh, for all the silly theater and the uh, and the the booing and hissing and the cheering and so on and so forth, questions are asked and answered, mm-hmm. and there's a sort of a, a repartee of like, well, there's consequences uh, if it's not a satisfactory answer, right? And the, and that the prime minister will have to defend his or her position with with you know knowledge and uh and cleverly countering what was said and you know st- striking against whatever you know it, it may, maybe it's not all maybe some of it, a lot of it's just political posturing but the fact that they can actually have meaningful conversations that are at least touching on actual real issues back and forth is a thing that we don't but have in this country they, in any we, form whatsoever yes but um, without making this too much about a political moment um they are also, it strikes me that they are a people somewhat consumed with the idea of shame and avoiding shame and being, you know, not only we could deal with do with a little of that here. Well, I mean, that's the problem. I just read a Washington Post article that made me close the window because it was making me so sad about something that's going on right now that's, you know, somewhat serious and oddly sticky scandal that's going on for an, for a weirdly long seven day period in the White House. But it all basically comes down to. Uh, our current regent is angry because of how it makes him look. That's really all that it comes down to. But at the same time, they they have lost interest in even appearing to tell anything like a consistent story or the truth, let alone not even wanting to be kind of on brand with virtue signaling even the most basic kind of answer you would expect about something that everybody mostly agrees on. No, I've, it was like something, I'm being very it was, vague. <laughs> yeah, it was a thought, thought that occurred to me when we were having some discussion about this in some Slack somewhere. I was like, any anything that we had, any sort of system or tradition or anything that we had that was shame-based has been destroyed like if there was something that that only never happened because people would be too ashamed to do it that has proven to be an insufficient barrier because you know and this has been said many many times over the years about you know trump and the whole movement that like once you abandon that once you abandon the ability to be shamed there is nothing you can say that shamed me because i will never be ashamed of anything right it opens up so many doors and and then you realize the only thing that was preventing that from happening was a sense of decency and shame. And so removing that is like a superpower in our system. And that seems like a big problem. Right. And, and there's this part of me that thinks like I, I have a conflicted relationship with the whole idea of hypocrisy and how it gets deployed kind of relates to our potential topic. Maybe like I, I, I think the, the, the hypocrisy pointing out route has to be deployed somewhat strategically uh, otherwise, it backfires hugely. But we just, there's no recourse. There's no recourse. There's no consequences. And you know what? I can talk about it. Makes me sad. Uh, so, yeah, so they got the crown. Yeah. But anyway, mm-hmm. they, for, for all the silliness, like it's always a matter of degree. I used to look on those type of things and say, look how silly these people just sort of, you know. Right. It's farcical. Uh, yeah. yell, yelling at each other in this performance that, like, who cares? Who cares who wins this performance? It's It seems pointless. Uh, but then, you know, it just takes a slight change in uh, perspective to say. But on the other hand, they're actually uh, able to form complete sentences and communicate with each other. And right, it right. takes some amount of skill to 
come back with uh, a reply to uh, a cutting remark or whatever, even if half the things they're talking about are stupid. And the fact that they you can win points by shaming someone else, that shame is a thing that still exists. So they should... I mean, they, they've got their own problems over there, but still, I guess the grass... It also helps if you uh, don't think that the presidency, the Senate, and the House of Representatives are the three branches of government. And also nobody ever controls the Branches judicial. of government? Whoa, oh, yeah. whoa, slow down. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't need to know that technical <laughs> mumbo-jumbo. They controlled all of them. They controlled the judicial branch. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Do you know how voting works? <laughs> hmm. uh, so our thanks to listener, uh, we're going to give it to Swilliams, right? Yep. yep. Good I job, mean, Swilliams. People very quick. If we had a chat room, they would have given it to us. It just yeah, that's not going to happen. I need to take some of those nads or knacks or something. Excuse me? Um, this uh, show is very heavily edited. There's no way we could have a, uh, a chat room. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Fracture. You can learn more about Fracture right now by going to FractureMe.com. That's on the internet. Go check it out. Fracture is the company that can take your favorite images and print them directly onto glass for you to display in your home. And believe me, they do make the perfect thoughtful gift. Believe me when I say this, this is true. It's a wonderful gift. Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida, very near where I used to live. I've been to Gainesville. It's a very good town. And all their stuff is from U.S. source materials. Their sleek, frameless design goes with any decor. Ordering is super simple. And fractures come ready to display straight out of the box. They even include the little wall hanger dingus. It's right in there. That's how thus free the fracture experience is. And, you know, uh, just so you know, fracture, it's a green company operating in a carbon neutral factory, which they lovingly refer to as their fractory. Isn't that fun? I'm a big fan of uh, of fractures. Uh, I've bought these with my own money. I have some around the house of uh, my daughter, photos of her, photos of our family. And it's just so bloody easy to make these things. Their site is a doddle to use. You just go in there, you send the images. It's even really smart about saying, hey, this image is uh, this kind of size and aspect ratio. Is that what you want to do? And you say, yeah, totes, I'm totally into that. And something I like to recommend to people, if you're not sure what to do with a fracture, well, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for someone in your family. So if you go onto your your little phone device, look at some favorite photos, I'll bet you there's at least one, two, maybe five of those in there. That would be fantastic gifts for someone in your family. Please go share the fractures. Fracture prints are a great addition to any home and they make such amazing gifts. I kind of always said that already. It's time to rescue those photos that are hidden away on your devices. So you head over to FractureMe.com to get started and see just how sleek fractures look. And when you go there, please use that very special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 15% off your first order. Go to FractureMe.com. Offer code DIFFS for 15% off. And a favor that I would ask of you, don't forget to pick Reconcilable Differences in their one-question survey that uh, let's, let's, uh, let's know you heard about from us. It helps support the show. Our thanks to Fracture for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. John Syracuse, you put a, a bullet into our list here. You, I think, I don't think I did this. I think you did this. Um, more lyrics tips. Uh, listening back to last episode where I was talking about lyrics stuff, and at one point I was trying to give tips on how to transcribe lyrics, and I did talk about a few things, but there are two important things that I left out. One is video. I don't think I mentioned. If you mentioned you, uh, listening to a live performance, but I don't think you said uh, watching a video specifically. Right. So even if you're not a lip reader, if you have some video of the person singing, whether it's a music video, a live performance or anything, you can, you know, get some 
additional information from the shape their lips make. Even though <laughs> lots of sounds have similar lip shapes, and again, you're probably not a lip reader, you could perhaps rule out something that you think starts with an M if you don't see their lips touch together, because that clearly is not an M and you've been fooled. Uh, and the second thing is singers have... First of all, singers have accents. Some singers' accents seem to depart when they sing. Uh, so that's an important thing to know. What is this person's accent, and does their accent seemingly change or depart when they sing? And how singers also have particular ways they like to say words, which may or may not have any relation to the way they say them when they're not singing. Eddie Vedder is full of these. Certain words and vowel sounds, he exaggerates and twists. And if you hear him say three words that all you know rhyme with pen and he does a particular weird vowel thing with the the e in the word you will come to recognize it and not be fooled when he says a, a word that should rhyme with pen but doesn't when he says it be like oh but i know he says all his words with that sound in it like that when he sings them mm-hmm. and that is a, an important key because if you just go based on i don't know who eddie vetter is or i don't have any uh any other things to compare it with, and he makes this noise, and you're like, there's no way that's the word you. There's no way. It doesn't sound anything like you. It's like, yeah, but listen to him say all these other words that rhyme with you, and see what he does, that thing he does? He's doing it here. That's the word you. Uh, that's the other the other tip for, for all the aspiring lyrics transcribers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still, I did not put this well last time, but I, I still struggle with the basic idea that words are just sounds. You know, and especially when it comes to somebody likes like Stipe. Mm-hmm. What? What are you laughing at? Wait, words are just words are just. Have you really looked at your hand? Seriously, <laughs> I'm words so are in, just sounds, I'm man. So into your hair right now. Oh my god! Uh, you should be able to come up with the non-cliched uh, things people say when they're high. Because I, all I've got is the cliche is having never been high. But you've got the you've got the real experiences. You get to pull the good stuff. Oh yeah, they're real good, real good. Those mm-hmm. kinds of thoughts. Yeah. Right now, I am thinking the last thought that I will ever yeah, think. Yeah, that one. So there you go. Well, that's that's more of a personal thing. How will I ever know when I'm thinking the last thought I will ever think, and what if this is it? Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm. <sighs> Helping a lot of people. All right, so we've cleared follow-up. I think we have at least one mini-topic that's oh, right Jesus. here. Uh, a- uh, okay. It's quick. I don't bring this up. You bring this up. What are you talking about? You put it on the list. I know, but you're talking I put, about I put, podcast I put the, you know the I Google Calendar's to. terrible new UI that you can't unchange, and you put something above it. I just want to touch on this because okay. I hadn't realized uh, what dire straits you were in. Oh, my God. God, you're uh, a miserable person. And perhaps you didn't realize it either mm-hmm. because I always picture you over there drinking your fizzy water. And eating too much lo mein <sighs> and uh, making food in the bath and everything, and everything seems great. But apparently, you had an experience recently where you were distracted for a day. <laughs> Got a monkey and, on my back. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're switching up your beverages. And I don't know why, but you were switching up your beverages. And come the end of a day, you didn't feel so good. And then you thought back and realized that you hadn't had any caffeine that day because you had been substituting a different beverage. Is this yes. accurate? Well, I mean, there, there, there are facts to be found in that spew you just offered up. But the long and mm-hmm. short of it was, as mentioned on another podcast, because that's apparently what I do now is talk about other podcasts I'm on, is yep. I said, you know, I like, a, I like a red zinger tea. And one day I'd enjoyed a lot of red zinger tea, which is herbal, which means it has no caffeine. And, um, and I, got a, uh, I, I didn't realize until I had a migraine that it was because I had not had caffeine all day. 
Now, you might start hearing it from the migraine people. I just wanted to do this as an aside, because mm-hmm. I think people who really get migraines don't like it when people call their bad headaches a migraine. Oh, you're like a fake migraine girl. Yeah, like I don't, I don't get migraines, so I can't speak to this, but I do know that people who have actual legit migraines are upset and will tell you about it if you describe your bad yeah, headache. What, what are you going to do, throw your Excedrin at me? Yeah, I don't Give know. Give me a break. Um, it's got caffeine in it. You would have used that. That's that the whole great. point. That's why you take the Excedrin. I have had perhaps uh, half a dozen, uh, according to Hoyle, legitimately bronchial, uh, serious migraines. Very clear recollection of the first one I ever had. But, I mean, if it wasn't a migraine, it, it sure would have passed. I mean, there's a certain kind of overwhelming intensity to a migraine that feels fundamentally different from a garden variety. Yeah, I think headache. I've had a couple in my life based on the symptoms. Uh, I'm not a migraine sufferer, like chronic migraine, but I think I've had three or four in my life, and well, they if do. You find your, feel if you different. find you're able to think about anything else, and this is a little bit <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy, but if you can, if you find yourself able to think about anything except the crushing pain, it's probably not a migraine. Yeah, I mean, and they got nausea and blurred vision, and the fact that you seeing, immediately, seeing stars you immediately and sleep for eleven hours after breaks. Uh, yeah, things like that. No, I don't. Um, have, I mean, just to be clear, no. I mean, I'm not trying to front here. I don't have chronic migraines but okay so let's let's take migraine off the table and just say that i i can tell you yeah me and my lady both have this i think anybody who drinks uh coffee or caffeine containing beverages on a daily basis will get this if you drink one two three four however many caffeine you know really even just two probably if you just stop one day there's none available you don't have it there's a pretty good chance you're gonna have a pretty bad headache maybe even by that afternoon yeah you got a taper I think it's a, I don't know the word for this. Is it a vasodilator? I, I, something like that. I think caffeine does something with increasing the, um, so, some blood flow thing in your head increases in size. I don't know if it's veins or arteries or what it is, but basically um, you that dilates when you have caffeine. And when you don't have it, it whatever the opposite of diet, shuts up. It does a little Dick Cheney in your head and it, causes a very bad headache so you could smoke at the same time and you got something that's going to be a vasoconstrictor isn't that what smoking does oh, it doesn't like yeah. restrict and then you can drink coffee the same anyway um this is the this i feel like is one of the i mean what one, one of the insidious effects of of caffeine is that you don't really think about it that much especially if you're not having coffee which is something has like a reputation for having caffeine maybe you're just having soda you don't realize guess what the soda you've been having has caffeine in it and over the course of a year or two with your habit of soda, you have slowly uh, caused yourself to need that caffeine. So you go through mm-hmm. a day and you and you don't have your soda for whatever reason. And then you have a headache and you don't understand why. You think maybe I just have a headache. Uh, but very often it's because you're going through a little mini version of caffeine withdrawal. Yeah. Uh, and so- sometimes it's not that many. I think my dad uh, drank a cup of coffee every morning for 20 years of work or whatever, or 30 or 40, I don't know, you know, his whole, his whole Uh working life, he was a coffee drinker, right? Uh And he retired and wasn't in the office where coffee is readily available, and he had a headache for two weeks. Oh, my God. (laughs) A base-level headache for, like, two weeks. And and was he curious about what caused it? Oh, he knew. He knew. But he wouldn't capitulate? (laughs) I think he powered through it, but I think he's back on it. What's so hard? You get a jar of Folgers, you keep it around the house. Yeah, I, mean, Mr. Was, says. I think it was like <laughs> retirement. What is my new life going to be like? It's not going right, to involve right, drinking right. coffee every day. So yeah, but I think he's back on it now. Um, but yeah. Um, and so well, my my main 
question for you is like so obviously you were you were on the, the whatever the what is it the the red what tea zinger yeah like uh celestial seasonings uh tangy it's kind of a berry like red tea mm-hmm. so it sounds like you just like forgot like oh i forgot this doesn't have caffeine i forgot that it, you basically forgot to have caffeine during the day like this wasn't a, a yeah. conscious experiment it's just a it thing wasn't, that I, don't, I mean it wasn't overtly a conscious experiment but like i like i mentioned on that program sometimes i go through a, I, I, my wife goes through this i think everybody probably goes through this where setting aside the tolerance for caffeine which is its own problem there's also sometimes where i'm just like mm, coffee doesn't taste good like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just you know I don't know if you have anything like that in your life, but where you're like, there's something you normally <laughs> like. Coffee a lot. always doesn't taste good to me. <clears throat> no, but there could be something else where you're like, it's something you normally really enjoy. You really notice this when you get a cold, right? So mm-hmm. you get a cold yeah. and you're like, oh, this is the worst. That this yep. does not taste good. That's how you know you're sick. Um, but sometimes I'll just go through periods where I'm like, we get the uh, like the Pete's French roast, like a pretty dark roast. And I just go like, oh, this is just hot, bitter water. I don't, I don't prefer this <laughs> yeah, right now. Moment of clarity about what coffee tastes like to uh, to me. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose you're right, but um, <clears throat> yeah. And so I, this is on the heels. If you're interested, this is on the heels of the last couple months. I've been binging pretty hard on iced coffee, mm. where I will make like uh, basically like a large mug, like an improbably large mug of coffee. I get a one liter beaker, like or not a beaker, a flask, like a you know what I mean, like a scientific uh, flask thing. Fill that all the way up with ice, cover it with hot coffee. Gummy and iced coffee. Not a and flask, right? Not a flask, but uh, I guess it's a beaker. I'm a beaker man. When it's, I'm, a when cylinder, I'm drinking, it's a cylinder-shaped cup. When I'm drinking around the house, I drink out of a beaker. All right. A one liter you know, iced coffee beaker. in a giant German beer stein. No, I'm a little more scientific about it. I'm not a... Uh, I'm not... No, the continent does not come into it. Uh, right. But that was on the heels of doing that a lot. And then I think I had been having coffee often enough. And sometimes I'll come to the office and like before I record a show in the morning... I'll have another coffee, but no, I'm generally a two. When I say a cup, it's not. It ain't no cup. It's a mug. It's more like four cups, like according to oil cups, or two or three <laughs> cups <laughs> in a mug. I'll have two of those a day. But I think a lot of people, to your point, I think a lot of people who are like, oh, I just drink, you know, three to six diet cokes a day. They might be surprised what would happen if they stopped because I think it's caffeine has a is a very powerful drug. This is the apocalypse readiness, another topic on another program that 100%. I also I also think about a lot of like uh, I mostly think about it in terms of my vision because I have uh, pretty strong prescription glasses. Right. So, uh, you know, if the end times come and everything you, that you could expect uh, from modern society is gone, no more grocery stores stocked with tropical fruits that uh, don't grow anywhere near you. No more electricity, heating or cooling. No more people delivering gas to your gas station. No one to fix anything that you have. Like, right. The after times. Mm-hmm. Um, how many things that are in your life make you extremely ill-equipped to survive that time? So, for instance, if you have corrective uh, lenses, uh, glasses yes. or contact lenses, and your glasses break, you can't yeah. get any new contacts because all the contacts are gone or there's a limited supply, how would you fare with your natural vision? My answer would be I would fare very poorly. You would. You would, you would have an evolutionary thing. disadvantage. I mean, actually, make that a topic. That's really good. You would be like, I'm looking at this uh, photo of uh, John Hurt in Midnight Express. You know, he's in a Turkish prison. He's got to do what he can with the glasses that he's got, you know, and they're not very pretty. So like when my daughter uh, is having the rare moment of uh, affection, that's not true. She's actually very affectionate, but she'll throw her arms around me and like smash her head into my head. And I'm like, ah, glasses, glasses. Like Mm -hmm. I can't replace these. Don't do that. Well, you can replace them, but in the aftertime. It's such a pain. It's such a pain to replace the glasses. Um. 
But yeah, so I, I, I don't know if I'm exactly addicted to caffeine. I, mean, I guess technically I am. Um, but I also deploy, so in that episode you listened to, I was talking about how I started deploying caffeine via pill as a way mm-hmm. to get off coffee as a requirement. Yes. And it's working but, out mostly pretty good. I bought some coffee, new caffeine. Like, it's coffee methadone if the coffee methadone was actually heroin. <laughs> well, I think one thing that is difficult about quitting smoking People who smoke cigarettes, there's, I mean, it's way more, I mean, obviously nicotine is a factor, but as you can certainly guess, there's more to it than just the nicotine part, especially back in the day when it was kind of a social thing and it's a break thing. You know what I mean? It's a chance mm-hmm. to like go outside mm-hmm. for a minute. There's all kinds of things that we make learned, that. We learned all about it in health class. Yeah. Right. And that's why you should vape. You can just vape at your desk. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> rip rip, rip okay. some sick cotton. <laughs> I, I imagine that like. For for all of the uh, the attractiveness of smoking as a habit, uh-huh. the the amped up paraphernalia and sort of associated image and you know just like everything about vaping is like it's like smoking, but even more so in that way, and hopefully less so in the nicotine way, but more so in the every other way about it, like that you can buy all those little accessories that go with it, and that is oh, formative to make. It's these like giant it's like smoke smoking clouds. smoking meets like D and D or train sets. Yeah, and and even and even more of a sort of uh, putting yourself into a social strata because it is more rare, right? Although these days it's probably less rare than than smoking. No, but I, I get the feeling there's a little bit of jostling about your rig and how you're doing your amperage or whatever. I think there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot of hobbyist interest in like what your vape rig is. But anyway, so you on the caffeine thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, in the aftertime, it's it's a minor factor, not as bad as having bad vision because you can get over the caffeine thing. Like eventually you'll come out the other side. But in the immediate aftermath, if you're going to have a headache for two weeks, this is not going to help you. Uh, well, and especially I've, if like the, yeah. the, the backsliders like my What about people with dad, nut allergies? I feel like I'm going to really have it up on them. Uh, I, I think nuts are less present in your life without the modern world bringing them to you from tropical locales constantly and, and processing yeah, but your food you in keep them. in a can. It might be in your uh, survival bucket. You might have some, uh, some nuts in there. Yeah, but you're not going to accidentally encounter them and have them kill you. Because In fact, it'll be probably extremely hard for you to get nuts that you mm. don't grow yourself very soon. Okay, that's true. So I think so. I think you're mostly okay with that. Vision is really, really bad. Caffeine addiction is a thing that will slow you down in the immediate aftermath. Like everyone else is uh, racing out of the city, and you're kind of distracted by this low-level headache that you've got, and that's a bummer. What about um, what about porn addiction? You think that's going to be a liability? Uh, I do not. Okay. Yeah, I think that one you'll be able you, to, you'll be able to handle that fine. You'll be able to power through that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, smoking though, I, I never did. You? How did you quit smoking? Um. Hypnosis. I think my my uh, addiction in uh, in air quotes my my like overuse of things is largely psychological. I remember even back in health class when they would finally be honest with you, <laughs> they would say that hey you know the problem with marijuana is not physical addiction. I mean the problem mm-hmm. with heroin or now today yeah. opium and opioids is like it's you know your cell structure changes when you're when you're doing you know opioids. But that it is largely uh, a psychological doesn't make it any less real. But the people who smoke pot every day are more psychologically dependent on it, and I think that's that's mostly it for me. Where I could I, I could stop anytime if I had to, kind of thing. But nicotine is it, nicotine is actually physically addictive, right? There are yeah, physical yeah. consequences. Like the, the, the yeah. physically addictive things are like you can't think your way out of this. Like you're not going to think your way not going through withdrawal after heroin, right? So it's you can if you stop doing heroin, there is no thought process that you can have. You could. You can meditate to deal with the withdrawal, but it's going to happen to you. So buckle up. Well, and, you know, and I think caffeine the same way. You're going to get the mild headache. It's not going to be bad, but there right. is. I don't think there's any amount of thinking you could do 
to not get the mild headache. Well, that's a funny thing about cigarettes, though, is that I don't know if this is true for everybody, but a lot of people who have um, smoked a lot and then stop. Well, okay, let's let's put it this way: like with coffee, you can go something like cold turkey if you choose to, and it'll be real bad. But the truth is, after three days, you I mean, it's out of your system. Yeah, you know what I mean. But you know, I mean, not to not to take it and turn it, but I I think I think I am much more addicted to thought patterns than I am to most things I put into my body. That's the really troubling stuff. Probably, but do you still do the thing that lots of ex-smokers do, where like I don't smoke anymore and I don't buy cigarettes, but every once in a while, if I'm hanging out with these people or if I'm drinking and there are cigarettes there, I will bum a cigarette and I don't smoke anymore. I'm quit smoking, but every right. once in a while I'll have one. I mean, that's not a huge problem for me. Like if it comes up, it would not. It's weird. I mean, it, it makes me feel kind of guilty the same way that I'm like a, what, what, what is it that I am? I'm a, I'm a fake migraine girl. Like I'm, I'm also like, you know, it's, it isn't like getting off drinking. I mean, if I stopped having drinks altogether, I would have to probably be all off drinking, which would probably be a good idea. But I don't know. I mean, it's really strange. Everybody's personality about this stuff is, is so different. It's difficult. Like my mom Smoked for a really long time. She tried different things. It was very, very, very difficult. She went to one hypnosis seminar and never mm-hmm. smoked again. It's the weirdest as far, thing. Uh, as huh? far as you know, that's the whole thing with the never smoking again people, because I think it is less like drinking and that like, oh, I don't smoke. I don't have a problem with that. I'll bomb a cigarette once a year or so if I'm hanging out with these people. No, she was in a terrible situation because she hated it. She hated what it did to my father. She just hated the fact that she hated doing it. She Every pack she bought, every carton she bought, she mm-hmm. hated, um, which is awful. I mean, it's a terrible way to live and no fun. And But I was so proud of her because for whatever reason, I don't have a rational explanation for why that worked. I mean, I could postulate or reckon why that worked, but it did. And she had her last pack of Winston's. She wrote the date on it and like kept it around and because like to prove to her that like she was off it. Well, yeah, I think once you hate it more than you like it, that is a that, that helps. You know, that's what they say with the dieting or whatever. Of like, if you make that thing where having the 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 dessert disgusts you more than eating it does, then you mm-hmm. you know you've tricked you've tricked yourself into in uh, you know changing the incentive relationship. That's just difficult for a lot of that's, people. That's that's actually a, a, I think a pretty interesting point. Um, whenever I'm going off on my January Jeremiah ads about New Year's resolutions and why I think they're generally not a great idea. Uh, the thing I always feel like I fall back on is this lack of infrastructure. I mean, even if you're fully committed, if you don't have an infrastructure in place to remove that thing from your life, you're not really fully committed. And the the example I often use in that Jeremiah ad is like, well, you say you want to lose weight or let's just say eat better. But if you still have potato chips in your house, like the potato chips are going to win. Like you have to not have that. But the other thing with smoking, to your point though, is that I even think about 1991 and my first jobby job with Dave, the marketing guy. Um, you know, like I say, it was a very social thing. People we called them the smoking pig, smoking pigs. These guys would go out there and they'd, they'd smoke and throw their butts on the ground, and it was it was all totally disgusting. But go back even further and think about like having a blue collar job where smoking was just part of the fun of the day. You might be out in a field or you might be in a factory or whatever. Whatever the situation was, you were in situations where it was more acceptable. Like my father, my late father. (laughs) You could just, I made him ashtrays in Sunday school class. You could just smoke in the office all day long. And I think that now there are fewer and fewer places that pressure is coming from all sides. It's not just persuading people with health facts or like, you know, taking cigarettes out of Sly Stallone movies. That probably helps. But I think it's also that there's fewer situations where that is 
accepted, celebrated, you know, approved of. And that, that pressure over time, I think, helps make part of the difference. Well, the health facts were the thin end of the wedge there because the health facts let you do things like uh, like convince convince the people who are momentarily thinking about it rationally, but more importantly, pass laws to say, look, well, you, you can have whatever opinions you want, but this study shows that secondhand smoke is bad for kids. And so let's not have a, a quote-unquote smoking section for restaurants. Instead, let's have no smoking at all in restaurants, right? right? right. And then like armed with those facts, people who you know, are advocating for it, have some ammunition to say, it's not just that we don't like smoking because it smells bad, right? Here are some actual things. And slowly but surely over many, many decades, you eat away at the, at the things you were just talking about. The fact that like, look, this is a thing you're going to do. Everyone else is doing it. It's a part of the social structure. It's, it's almost impossible to avoid, right? Until, you know, the, those little facts come in and start pressing all that stuff out and eventually it reverses. It's actually harder to be a smoker now because there's no place you can do it. You feel right. shunned. It's not something that everyone in your office is doing as they sit at their desks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't see it in movies and TV shows, again, for all the health reasons of people like, why are you encouraging my little children to smoke and it's bad for you and blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And it takes, you know, 50 years, but eventually you can invert that incentive structure and now depending on where you are, it could potentially be harder for you to make the choice to smoke, to start or to continue, than it is for you to not make the choice. Uh, and I think that's different than what you were getting at with the don't have the potato chips in the house thing. That gets at a topic that I debated putting in these notes and decided not to, but you you just jumped on the exact <laughs> example I was thinking of, so I feel like I have to pull it in here and potentially okay. uh, derail where we're going. But uh I would also just note in passing that if we end up talking about what I think we're talking about, I think it's very related. I, I think that part of what makes people change, what makes people change is ultimately not, most of us, is not rational uh, arguments. It's not, it's, it's what you're surrounded by. It's what seems possible, back to the Overton window. It's back to like what seems normal, what seems acceptable, what increasingly seems not acceptable. And I think that takes a long time and repetition before all kinds of things seem like a not okay thing to do. Right, but like I said, the, the rational argument is usually the thing that, that gives the entry point for the virus that eventually in, inverts the incentives for people who are immune to the rationality itself. Like, they don't care about the rational facts. That's not going to be convincing to them. But the rational facts are used to change the rules in such a way that eventually every, the things they do care about, about society, about belonging or feeling like a part of a group or any of that stuff, that stuff has been, in, in, you know, switched behind their back and hopefully they're able to come out of that and not just be like, well, I'm still addicted. So I got to go stand out in the rain, like a sad, uh, slob and, and, and do my smoking cause I have no choice. But, but yeah, like, I, I feel like that is, that is the, uh, but that's, that's not what, that's not the topic I wanted to get. The topic yeah. I wanted to get at yeah. was, I listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, tech podcasts, but you know, other, I mean, productivity podcasts, you may be familiar, um, where people talk about, I'm going to say the struggles of working, but like challenges. Yeah. How like they, they want to do a thing and to varying degrees, the thing is difficult. <laughs> creativity is, is, is an obvious one because it's like people understand that creativity is not, this kind of came up on the last ATP. I feel like I don't remember. That was too long ago. Um, was Marco and, and to Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's that's part of it, but obviously I've been listening to podcasts like that for for a long time. But creativity is is an obvious one because it is people understand that it's not as simple as as, as the saying goes, turning on off light switch, right? Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of things you have to 
arrange to try to get that. But even just simple work and like how you arrange your life and how you organize uh, the things that you have to do to make you feel like you are accomplishing something and not just spinning your wheels. Um, and a lot, and a lot of those podcasts revolve around, I don't know, you probably know the, the less cliched phrase, but like I think of as, as like self hacks where you are the adversary and you have certain inclinations and the other you, the more rational you decides I'm going to change something about my life, about my environment, about the, the, the applications I use about where I live, about something about yourself, about whether there are potato chips in the house. And I'm going to make that change because I know the other me, the non-rational me, that will cause a change in that me's behavior. Right. right? So the rational me does it, something. But it's a like using, using what some people call executive function. Like you're going to use this like more rational, take a step back version of you to try and uh, compensate for the less rational part of you that acts on impulse. Right, because you, you're going to try it. Like, I know, and, and the one, the example I use, I was discussing this with my wife. And like the, I think the easiest example that most people can relate to is uh, almost anything having to do with food, which makes mm-hmm. some sense, you know, again, good old evolutionary reasons. Like food is pretty important to us for what I hope is an obvious reason, because if you don't have it, you die. Mm-hmm. And so lots of, lots of parts of us are, uh, start to get sort of a, a, a get sort of tunnel vision. <laughs> when when we're hungry and crave food, right? right? It is really, really an overwhelming thing about like food and water kind of kind of important to us. Um and so it is usually very difficult to use the rational part of your mind to change your eating habits because a very big and very powerful part of you really, really likes potato chips, right? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or really, really likes chocolate or dessert or whatever it is that you crave. Or you it's, say, it's, a part, it's a part of you that like, you may not even think about until it comes up, but once, once that part of you does come up, it utterly takes over. And, and the thing about it is it's always there lurking. Like in your moment of weakness, if yeah. you are slightly distracted, like how did I get on this couch with these potato chips in my hand, right? Like just there is... It, it never sleeps. It's like rust. Rust never sleeps, and neither does your neither does your hunger, right? Mm-hmm. Neither does your your cravings for calories. Neither right. like does, I, I could know. I could always do with a funyun, right? And and it's just it's just you know, and you cannot. The other part of you gets exhausted. It can't like I mean, they have all the experiments of exhausting willpower and everything, but the rational part of you is just simply less powerful, or even if it's more powerful, most of the time, eventually it succumbs. So that part of you, when it is when it is in charge and in power, it says, "Haha, I." I'm going to thwart you, hunger mind, and I'm just not going to have any potato chips in the house. Mm-hmm. So that when I get tired and can't stop you from eating potato chips, you're going to look for them, and they're not going to be there. And if you're never going to be able to get to the point of, like, drive drive me to the store and get some potato chips, because you start doing that, the rational mind wakes up and says, whoa, 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 it's, it's 1030 at night. Don't go to the store and get potato chips, right? If they were in the house, you'd already be eating them, right? So I think this is the this is the aspect of, of our, our lives that most people can relate to, that one part of us is going to hack ourselves to change something to thwart another more powerful part of us that is nevertheless not momentarily in charge. And I think a lot of the productivity podcasts and, and, and that stuff is very much about doing that in areas other than food. So you know you have to get a job done, whatever your job is. Your job is writing. Your job is making videos. Your job is, you know, I don't know. Uh, whatever, whatever things you have to do. But it's, uh, so something just, about the work requires you to think about it on kind of a meta level. 
like yeah, in, or in a way, in a way you, that like if you if you had to sort bolts, like you would not need a special app to keep track of what you're doing. But in this well, case, there's you need some kind of a like a a mecca that you can get into to be able to think about how you do your work, or even just something as simple as household chores, which are are not usually particularly creative endeavors, but are also the type of thing that you can manage to the, you can manage to like let slide. And so, how do you make it like? so that you do remember to take out the trash so that mm-hmm. you don't, you know, say you're missing trash pickup, trash is building up in your house. And you're like, if left to my own devices, this is a problem. So I need to set something up to do a self hack so that I, A, don't forget to take out the trash and B, actually do it in a timely manner. And so you come up with all those scenarios of like, uh, you know, how are you going to set a reminder application or tie a string on the door or, you know, or putting your briefcase by the door, your favorite example, like mm-hmm. you, you're going to do something to, to change your behavior. And the reason I've been thinking about this and the reason I've been thinking particularly about like hunger and food and, and stuff like that is that I think there is a, a spectrum of how much self-hacking people need to function. Uh, and the food one I think is universal because I'm not sure there's anybody who could not benefit from self-hacking when it comes to food, mm-hmm. right? Even if the self-hacking is, and this is the best kind, the best and perhaps the only sustainable kind of self-hacking is to eventually convince yourself to be disgusted by like sugar or something. You know people who have done this, right? So you're like, how can you live without sugar? Sugar tastes so good. Everything about you craves it. It's high in calories. You want it. But some people can eventually change their worldview that they're just nauseated by the idea of Or at the very least, sugar. it does, I mean, not even that extreme, but it just, it does not draw them, it does not have any appeal. Right, but it's usually, it's because there is a, an offsetting negative. Like, like perhaps uh, your mom was smoking, eventually she comes to hate it more than she loves it, right? It's able to overcome a physical and psychological addiction because there is a countervailing force that becomes more powerful, right? And that, it, you know, it, it's almost like, if given a million dollars, will you take a cigarette? It's like, I can't. I'm just totally disgusted by it, right? So that's the ultimate sustainable thing. But most people can't do that. But even, I even saw I would say that's a self-hack. But, but again, not having the potato chips house in the house, that's obvious, right? But I feel like that is uh, one end of the spectrum we can all uh, relate to. But as you go down, it's like, okay, do you need to self-hack yourself to make yourself go to work? Otherwise, you'll just stay home all day. Right. Most people don't because there are, there are lots of forces making you go to work because if you don't, you get fired. If you're fired, you don't get any money. You don't get any money. You can't sustain yourself or whatever. But that would be the, the other extreme, which is like I literally the the rational part of my brain is only in charge for brief moments during which I have to plant 700 self hacks so that the rest of the day I do anything that, that my rational mind wants me to do. Otherwise, I will just be, you know a leaf on the wind and will not be able to accomplish anything. These goals that are supposedly important to me, but that nevertheless, I find myself unable to do whatsoever. Right. And sometimes when I hear these productivity podcasts, I have to think at one point, does the sophistication of self hacks required to accomplish something become, become a problem. (laughs) You're asking the right guy. Yeah. Now, I don't think you have that many self-hacks. To tease out something implicit here is that, you know, when, when you, I don't, I don't know how your mind actually works, but like when you, whenever you talk about something like this related to work, oh, I don't go to meetings because they're fun. I go to meetings because if I don't, I'll lose my job and I won't have a house anymore. Like you, you don't seem to struggle with these things. Does it seem 
odd or foreign to you that other people may struggle with this. I'm, but I do. I, I feel like I struggle with them maybe slightly less than other people, but certainly the food thing and all sorts of other things having to do with laziness. I think my, my only my only saving grace is my expectations of myself are lower, maybe. So that helps a lot that it comes with like age and, and disappointment. <laughs> you need right? more shame. But, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, but I but I think there is a spectrum. And what I try to I try to think about is, is to relate to people who, who require more of them and to wonder to wonder where along the spectrum it becomes a problem, right? right? I, I feel like it might be a problem for me and that my expectations are too low for myself and that I should be more bothered by failing to accomplish things, right? So that's that's a possibility. And we certainly know people who are like that. It's like their problem is not that they can't get themselves to do anything. Their problem is they don't want to do anything, right? Right. They're not even to that point of, like, if you're utterly unmotivated, then you don't even have a problem to solve in your head. I mean, they might also be depressed. Like, there's also mm-hmm. some pathologies in that direction as well. Oh, I, I think <laughs> depression's a huge part of a lot of this stuff. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, undiagnosed depression is a huge right. part of this. But yeah. but on the other end of the spectrum, and it's especially, I mean, it's especially interesting to me because it's, it's the you know, the people I'm listening to talk about these things are very clever and very capable. Like, the, the part of their mind that is, you know, that is in charge of and, and wants to accomplish things has lots of tools, right? And so they're coming right. up with these incredibly elaborate systems to to optimize, like min-maxing in like in a video game, to to optimize for the performance that they care about, right? And so yes, they're self-hacking, but they're self-hacking like a pro. Like they they are self there is no escape for their monkey mind. Like every time everywhere their monkey mind turns, there is a system set up by the other mind that's like, nah, no, get back to work or like, you know, mm-hmm optimize your output or whatever and it's almost as if that that part of their mind is is too good at at self-hacking i kind of feel bad for the the other part of their mind that there's there's no there's no escape um and that also scares me a little bit in that i crave like i i enjoy indulging my my monkey mind or my lizard mind like uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing I like more than to to veg on out vacation on the couch and forget and you have a job, <laughs> right, right? Like, but but who? Like, I some people feel guilty when they like sit on the, the couch with a pint of ice cream and watch a trashy TV show. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, this is this is like Conan. What is best in life? Sitting on the couch and watching <laughs> what is good TV with a pint of ice cream, and I feel no guilt. I'm like, this is you know. So maybe that's also a problem. But anyway, I, I've just been thinking about this spectrum and and how. How, you know, the, the self-hacking industry and the self-hacking uh, continuum and how to measure people along it and what, you know, what, where is as somebody, what does it mean to be well adjusted in this respect? I don't I don't I don't even know anymore. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com. Enter the offer code DIFFS at checkout, and that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace, because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog. You can even have a podcast. Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There is nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got you covered. They even have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those beautiful award-winning templates are beautifully designed 
for you to show off your great idea. I feel like I got onto Squarespace, I don't know how many years ago. It's back when I was doing the Mac Break Weekly podcast. I got an account. I've had one ever since then. I've had several accounts. And I've done all kinds of stuff with it. It's what runs my personal site. It's what runs the site for my updates for the Ungainly X-Men meetup. And of course, it is Squarespace is what I use for the Roderick on the Line podcast. They're a terrific company, and I, uh, I can't recommend them highly enough. crazy part is that Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can go and start a free trial with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, please use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, That'll get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Oh, boy, that's a, that's a big kahuna. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> God, what time is it? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to that. I mean, one thing I'm, I'm drawing out of what you're saying that I, I think is... I don't know. I find very thought provoking. Well, first of all, yeah. I mean, let, let's get to the whole, like, what is too much? But also there's another part of me that, I don't know, like you think about people who are like, ah, it's so hard for me to get up in the morning. I, every single morning I have to set like five alarm clocks and like, you know, and it's never easy any day. And I need that pot of coffee and there's, you know, all this stuff. My, like, my alarm clock runs away from me and administers electric shocks remotely right, as I you, chase you it. You can get an alarm clock that literally runs away with you, but from, runs away from me. But there are, there are people, honestly, who, who say, like, I could not, it's not enough for me to have my Fitbit jingle a little bit. It's not enough for my iPhone to go off. Like, I need to have several alarm clocks that are, like their the hack in this case, if you want to call it that, is that <laughs> is that like I need to have so many things that are unbearable to me just just to get up in the morning. Yeah, I have to hire a large Swedish man to smack me in my face until right, I get out of it. Right, bed. you have to get like a like an odd job or something. But like you know, on the one hand, like okay, that's you've you've identified a kind of problem, which is it's difficult for you to get up in the morning. And you've even had the self awareness to go. You realize that's a problem, that, and you're not good at it, and you need you need some kind of an infrastructure outside of yourself to do it. Like if you were really, really excited about what you did every morning and were well-rested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not talking about you, but somebody else. Like if, if everything was all lined up and you were on vacation and you just happened to need to get up early this one morning to get a couple's massage, like you might not need five alarm clocks, but for whatever reason, you need surrogate motivation or surrogate stimulation to get you out of bed. And... I do feel like there is a certain strain of this that that I find interesting and peculiar, which is, like I say, the six alarm clock guy, where it's like, man, like you might need to like look at a different layer in your stack to figure out what's going on there. Like, I'm not sure more alarm clocks is the solution to that problem. I don't know what the answer is. And I'm certainly, I'm not here to Gary Vaynerchuk you into quitting your job and doing a TEDx talk, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, just to, to make it more personal for me, I do know that like there's a difference between the Merlin that sought out basic productivity systems in order to feel more in touch with skills. I feel I felt like I had, but had trouble accessing versus the one where I was like trying to run and knock down a door where I would go and spend all this time on superstructure in order to um, generate a certain amount of motivation, you know, sui generis that just didn't exist. 
And I, I think sometimes that's, that's, I mean, this is, I'll put on my old productivity hat. I think that gets lost in a lot of this stuff is that sometimes there, you become so interested in all of those superstructures and mecha suits that you lose track of like, well, why, why is this so hard for you? Right. And yep. oh, you get a mortgage. And I'm like, I understand all that stuff, but like, like, why is it that, that hard for you to get up in the morning? And I mean, again, I don't have a dog in this fight, but like, is there a chance that you could go to, go to bed early? No, I can't because of all oh, this. I got a laundry to do and a kid and butter. But well, okay. But like, there's a certain point where you like, you have to run up against the fact that like, like what's going to like, eventually what you become like a marionette of your own design. Like you get like led around by all of these things because like, it's almost like, you know, the wrong trousers. Like you need to have these, these pants that put themselves onto you to like get you out of bed in the morning. But I think that goes for tons and tons of stuff. And it's like, it once you get the get the knack for doing the life hacky stuff um i well i think it's probably an understatement to say it's sometimes difficult to know how much you're serving an actual problem versus doing something um that you enjoy exploring as a fun thing yeah i think you you nailed it with the six alarm clocks which is an example that i didn't want to go to but now that you've come so close to it i can't uh, resist it but like but what you said of like getting the seventh alarm clock is probably solving the wrong problem at the wrong, wrong conceptual level. Right. Um, and so the, the more common incarnation of that in the one relevant to ATP is like maybe another slash different to do application is not going to solve the problem that you seem to be experiencing having cycled through 17 systems of, of handling to do. And, and obviously now this is, it's a little bit glib, which is why I don't want to bring it up because like, obviously if you're listening to a podcast of productivity, of course they're going to spend the whole hour talking about to do apps. That's not a reflection of the entirety of their life. It's just the topic of that particular podcast right. episode, yeah. but it can give you a skewed view. And it's like, you start to think, Jesus, this, is this, when do they do the work? Because it seems like their main job is <sighs> developing systems. Are you trolling me? As Casey do, says, are you the, are you provoking me? Are you deliberately I, trying not to? Not everyone me go? has heard all back to work. You know, <laughs> oh you know, there are God. people born every day who have not. You sound seen like every Simpsons, little uh, every confessional Flintstone, post sorry. and video that I've ever done. No, that's 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 the struggle. That's really the struggle. Is that you know? I mean, I always felt like you know, in, in even in Danny O'Brien's original conception of what he called life hacks, the thing that I found so interesting. Well, first of all, it's one of those things where like you learn a word for something that you didn't know there was a word for, which is I've always been attracted to what Danny called life hacks, which are, and just to go back, I mean, I'm not quoting here, but going back to his original definition of it, it's a somewhat, it's a clever, maybe clever, maybe inelegant solution that's a little patch for something that's, that's causing a problem in your life. And the hack part is it's like a, a hack with coding where like, there's a thing that'll make this work mostly to the spec, but like, it's not anything that we would want to <laughs> have, you know, run the enterprise for the rest of forever. That's, that's the beauty part of a life hack is it can be this little, um, little code patch on your life that helps you get through this little time. So again, now if you're in crunch mode for whatever reason, you may need the eighth alarm clock and maybe that's an okay thing. But like, is that the way, like now do you want to go into like looking at wire cutter for the best eighth alarm clock to get? And do you need to go explore a podcast series on how far the alarm clock should be for optimal loudness versus being out of reach? And then that's where you get into this, uh, again, to quote a term I learned from Danny O'Brien, yak shaving. You know, um, you're getting into this thing where you you can start to lose track of what it was you were trying to accomplish or you lose track of what it was you were trying to fix. And if you're not careful, it can be um, a tremendously engrossing distraction to feel like patching those systems has become arguably more important than the job that you're doing. 
And and if you and the ironic part is, and one reason, blah blah blah, I don't do what I used to do, is that I don't think most people who seek those kinds of solutions. One reason people go and seek those kinds of solutions is that they're pretty smart people who often have a problem with impulse or distraction or depression or whatever it is. But it's that's the same instinct that made you attracted to that little patch is the thing that can take you completely off the rails in terms of doing what you actually need to do to where, you know, and not always, not always, but, but it can, if you are a person who is prone to procrastination, I mean, I'm I'm sorry to be repeating something that feels like a cliche, but like if you're someone who's prone to procrastination and you feel like you're not getting enough accomplished, it can sometimes feel very wholesome to go into your um, task management app and change the way that you handle taxonomy, organization, and structure. And that, that really, that really feels like you're really accomplishing something when, you know, when in fact, like that might be the opposite of what you need to do. There's something much more fearful to you that's staring you down. The thing that's comfortable, you know, on the kind of chick sent me high matrix is this thing where I can go in and really get my hands around what I do with my context. Like I am really on point with my context, but like all the time that you're doing that, there's this other stuff over here that's not being done. And then you've kind of created this secondary career for yourself and I think the personality that's attracted to that is often almost necessarily the kind of personality that doesn't know when to stop. So as I was pointed out before, if people listening have not heard literally the entirety of Back to Work, maybe a lot of this sounds novel, but arguably uh, by the time you started doing the Back to Work at all from episode one, this was one of your big... That was, that was really already in my, in my um, rearview mirror. Yeah, no, that's, but, that's but, the but, the, part, but the yeah. the the, uh, the the idea of yeah, there are all these things, but most important is for you to take a look at what you're doing and make sure you're not yak shaving, make sure you're not buying the seventh alarm clock, right? That that that's mostly what you seems like you talked about, or at least that's mostly what yeah. I heard because no, the, I, yeah, you did, no, totally. did you also talk about legit like here's what getting things done. Like, you did talk about the legit stuff and people hear that, but I'm mostly hearing someone who is telling you. Uh, the, the, the trap that you are setting for yourself and how, how to tell when you're in it. Whereas if you listen to other programs, including when we just talked about it on ATP, mostly it's you, when you're in it and talking about it, we're talking about to-do applications and the one we use and what we like and what we don't like. At no point are we talking about whether we should be using a to-do application for, right. for this or how to tell when you're on your seventh to-do application, right? And that, that I feel like is a discussion that is not missing from back to work. It is threaded throughout back to work from the beginning, but is missing from lots of uh, discussions about this and lots of just generally people thinking about what they need to do for themselves. They're too concerned about what the best system for them is and not concerned about why they need a system for this thing, which may not be a thing to be concerned about, but seventh alarm clock, it's a concern. And and how do you know? That's what getting that line. How do you know where that line is? Yeah, well, I mean... I'm not the cynical person who would say this, but a, a cynical person would say that the, the the troubling part about that is either a the person hosting that show knows how terribly addicted you are to fiddling and how much you will be attracted to going out and trying this new thing because the API is better. Uh, a cynical person would say you're either knowingly drawing people in to this um, unintentionally addictive culture of fiddling or B, 
I don't know which is worse. You just don't know. You don't, you don't realize that that's not your work, that your work now has become talking about the work you do about your work, which is not a terrible thing. Like I've certainly done that, but like, if you know, that's what you're doing and you're okay with it, that's fine. But that's, that may not be. And I, I joked about this a little bit earlier, but there's a whole class of what I would not just TEDx talks, but there's this whole class of like, or super class of like advice about from people, from entrepreneurs that's all about stoking this thing in you that says, look, I know you feel like a loser and I know you feel like a failure and I know you want these 47 Lambos in your Lambo garage. But like, believe me, I used to be where you are. You know, I used to, I used to have a cardboard belt, but I'm going to tell you about all my 17 failures that I've lined up end to end. And that's made me in this position where it basically becomes a Ponzi scheme. And now, I mean, a kind of existential Ponzi scheme. I, I don't mean to be unkind, but this is one reason I got out of this racket is that I realized... I realized it's like it's like holding, you know, a seminar to stop gambling in the middle of a casino. It's it's you know, at a certain point you you want to gently, kindly say to somebody, like, you know, again, go back to the first episode of Back to Work, you know, what couldn't you ship? What was the thing that was difficult for you to do? Why was that difficult? Let's really talk about that. Let's really let's really talk about what you was it really because Siri didn't parse your speech correctly? Is that really what stopped you from doing that thing you wanted to do? You know, was it really because you didn't have the exact right context when you were trying to enter this into your productivity app? Or is there something, is that just a more comforting answer for why you're not getting to this painful part about what makes your job hard right now? Because, you know, if you're somebody who's feeling uneasy about themselves, you, you are procrastinating. Procrastination, you know, people know they're procrastinating a lot of the time and they don't feel good about it. But like, if you can find a way to make that into like a project that feels like work, believe me, I know whereof I speak. It can be intoxicating. So, I mean, I don't want to cast an aspersion on anybody, but I do feel like there is a certain amount of, like, there's a reason all of those casinos, like, have to show you an 800 number on how to stop gambling. And I think sometimes, like, and we talked about this again on Slack. Marco and I were talking about this, where he was, he had gone through, basically, you talked about this on this ATP. And we'll put it in notes. But he had gone through that thing where Marco, Marco is so freaking funny, where, like, he's like, I don't understand why anybody would want a turntable. And he's like, oh, I see the appeal of a turntable. And he goes like, I don't understand why all these people are always filling, filling with productivity apps. And he goes, oh, I understand. It's because they're all terrible. It's like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> now you understand. But like, you know, you come out the other side of that and that you can kind of see how like if you're if you're if your driver ends up unintentionally because if your primary driver unintentionally comes up with comes up to like what is the system that I need to have my work seem sensible and easy? Like what if your job is necessarily difficult and you just haven't figured out what parts of it are necessarily difficult because that's the art versus how much of it is just because you don't know how to say no to meetings? Like where do you find that sweet spot in doing something courageous and difficult that makes you, you know, really confront the part of this that makes this job your job? And like you won't get to that if you're tagging things in an app. Like, I know, like, believe me, I know. And at a certain point you need to know, is this the project for me anymore? Like, is this the thing that I should be doing? And like, I just, I feel like, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm overstating this, but I feel like as somebody who's uh, both um, kind of vended this and suffered from this, I think it's not always easy to know when you are working in a wholesome way to solve a problem versus when you're merely doing something that is, is, helping to keep you further pushed away from this difficult area you don't want to look at over here. Am I, I'm not really answering your question, am I? No, you, you are. And I think you, you touched on something with your, your past life as a productivity guru. The tricky part of this for, I mean, so this is the narrow version. The tricky part of this for people who actually do this as part of their job. Like if you give talks about productivity, uh, fiddling with productivity 
suddenly is kind of at least part of your job. Yeah. Now, most people that's not true for, right? But for for someone like you or someone who has a podcast about productivity, uh, it kind of is part of your job, which which is weird and kind of hurts your ability to detect when you're on the seventh alarm clock because you're like, but yeah, but isn't this my job? But then whatever. Anyway, so there's that confusion, right? The second problem is that's a tiny number of people. Yeah. A large number of people who But it feels like something to it starts to feel like something to aspire to. Yeah. Who go to those things and see those talks yeah. and listen to those podcasts. It's not their job. They don't have a productivity podcast. They're not giving talks about productivity, right? But they're listening to someone and it is whose job it is. And so that person whose job it is is perhaps not going to be as cognizant of the seventh alarm clock because the seventh alarm clock for them is part of their work. In fact, they should have 10 alarm clocks and they should try them all out and they should rotate them because that's part of their job. And so they're talking. Yeah, I'll just buy, buy them all and return the ones I don't want to keep. Yeah, and, and they're <laughs> they're uh, and they're they're talking to the audience, and the audience here is is going to you know sort of model that behavior and say that's what this person is doing, and they are my productivity guru. Therefore, it must be a good thing to do. But the people listening, their job is not to have a productivity podcast, and so it can right. be very confusing to say I hear these people, and like especially if the people are not don't have that in front of mind and don't reinforce that and say in some respects I have to go over the line. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Mac Weldon. You can learn more about Mac Weldon right now by going to MacWeldon.com. I'll spell that for you. M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. It's on the internet. You can get there right now. Mac Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. Frankly, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Don't ask how we know. We just do. They're so confident of this that they have a no-questions-asked return policy. Mac Weldon are so sure that you're going to be super comfortable in whatever you buy. If for any reason you don't like it, you send it back and they'll refund you no-questions-asked. That's a pretty good gig. By pairing premium fabrics, meticulous attention to detail, and a simple shopping experience, Mac Weldon delivers a new level of daily comfort straight to your door. They make undershirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and waistbands that don't roll. They basically help your clothes stay where clothes are supposed to be. And that's a feather in their cap. Everything they make is made with premium cotton and blended with natural fibers. Their website is built to get you in and out as quickly as possible, and they don't waste your time. This is the personal recommendation part. And this part is so easy. It says here, personal recommendation. This part is so easy for me because I legit am a huge fan of Mac Weldon. When I first got these, they sent me some free stuff. I said, hey, it's a gift thing. You can go get some stuff. And I was like, hmm, that's clothes. But the truth is, these things are so great. I am a huge fan of their just plain white cotton t-shirt. They're so well-made, but I'm a huge fan of their Pima cotton long sleeve shirt. If you encounter me on the street, don't be creepy, but I will probably be wearing that shirt. I will also be wearing their French Terry hoodie, which is a fantastic hoodie with a very long cord. Uh, It's very handsome. Huge fan. Please check them out. Mack Weldon also have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. That is some cool science stuff. Not only do Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirt look good, they perform well, too. They're good for working out, going to work, traveling, or just for everyday life. Listeners of Reconcilable Differences can get 20%, my goodness, that's so many percent, 20% off your order. You just go to MacWeldon.com and use the offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. <sighs> Thanks to Mack Weldon for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. <laughs> 
Here's the other thing, though, is that like I, I personally do not have any objection to somebody saying like, I mean, I, I feel like I have friends, I have friends, some of whom are kind of like famous big shots who like genuinely enjoy listening to productivity stuff because they actually get really good stuff out of it. And I, I'm honored to say that there are people who, who have found stuff I've said to them useful in like making art that I really like. There's another kind and that's, that's great, but you know what? They still go ahead and make the art. The other part of this is like, regardless of whatever it is that you do, there's stuff I listen to on podcasts or on TV shows that like, or think about you and like home improvement stuff when you were a kid, where like, maybe you're not going to become a carpenter, but you can still really enjoy this old house. And like, yeah, you find uses for that today, but like, I mean, unless I'm getting it way wrong, there was never a point where you imagine that you had watched enough this old old house that you were like almost as capable as Norm and that it was actually kind of secretly career your career that you should have. So like if you en- if one enjoys the pursuit of um or the uh just consumption of any of this stuff as a fun thing, I don't think there's anything bad about that. I think it's it's people like me who have to be circumspect about realizing when this has gone from being a thing that's fun for me to explore and learn from to becoming something that becomes what a lawyer might call an attractive nuisance. And like I say, I just, I think for a certain personality type, it is not inbuilt to know when you've reached that point. Yeah. Some, some of the, I mean, I do like, like home improvement. I do listen to a ton of most, mostly podcasts at this point, a ton of podcasts where they talk about these topics a lot. And as, as someone who doesn't, I don't feel like I have, much of a problem with these things. It's not like I'm listening to them to hear solutions to problems I have in the same way. I'm not watching this old house to deal with my old house when I was right. a kid because I didn't have a house. Uh, it's just an interesting topic. Um, and I, you know, I obviously the part that appeals to me is hearing other people use their, use their intellect and their cleverness to, you know, to, to do the self hacks, the sophistication of the self hacks, the figuring out which ones work and don't. And, you know, like min maxing in a video game uh, to see how they're, playing the game that is themselves right and i think uh, related to the figuring out when you're on the seventh alarm clock uh some something i see in uh, a lot of i mean this is just a productivity trend you probably tell me what original book or whatever this comes from but there are parts of the the self-hacking that are focused on that that are focused on measuring results right Uh, like self self quantification kind of stuff Right. So you can, so you have something to look at to say, is, is what I'm doing, you know, uh, American history X has anything you've done made your life better, but mm-hmm. you need to be able to answer that question to know if you're doing it. Time tracking is, is a big one of those that I hear on a lot of podcasts uh, to, to let people to get some sort of situational awareness of like, what are you actually spending your, your day doing? And what is it that you said you wanted to do? Like, what are the goals now measure and are you meeting your goals? And there's a whole other series of self hacks to do the time tracking and to do the measurement and to make sure you do it and to blah, you know, it's like, yeah, but it's hard to do on iOS. So you got to try these different things and you got to remember to turn it on. And like, it becomes like a whole like separate. Right. And soon, soon you're, soon you're wearing two watches uh, and and a Fitbit (laughs) and you got three phones and and the multi-pad lifestyle and all the, the CGP gray business. And it's like, but also some part of that is clearly deployed to try to make sure that you're not doing all these things to no effect or to negative effect and to know i mean i don't know if that lets you know that like i you know you see that seven uh, seventh alarm clock uh, in in the you know coming up at you in the rearview mirror mm-hmm. it's still i think a conceptual leap to say i'm solving this problem at the wrong level 
that it's not a question of figuring out a way to self-hack myself so that I wake up. I need to step back at least one level and say, why is it so hard for me to wake up? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, and, that, that, and that's just one yeah. level back. And all, very right. often I hear people thinking about the elaborate systems they have to, to keep track of their projects and, and to do them and to schedule their life or whatever. I very often find myself thinking, and this is this is not, you know, this is not particularly useful and probably uncharitable, but, but why is it so hard for you to do work? Right. It's just like the, the least useful advice. It's like, have you, you know, have you tried, you know, not being depressed like it's the it's the stupidest thing <laughs> you tried not me. being a mutant yeah exactly. i think you're actually like, I, I mean i don't know if you realize exactly how much you're nailing it and with a certain amount of nuance because here's another piece of nuance is that like everything we're talking about here like there, there's stuff to be gleaned from all of this stuff but like like an example that leaps to mind is let's say like you feel like a like you should be further along as somebody who bakes Right. And so like you feel like, oh, my gosh, what do I need to do to learn how to bake? And then like a joke I would have made five years ago is all all you do is watch YouTube videos without ever having an oven. Right. But no, another way to look at it is like, oh, God, I just I feel like I'm really losing it, you know, at at the stage of like what kind of mixer that I'm using. I feel like I'm I'm not getting the right, you know, um, I, I need I need to get this right equipment. I need to But like imagine if like you got so fixated on that that all you did was like test out mixers. And like try different mixers and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'd, you, sometimes you'd make stuff, but like you got so focused on this one aspect of baking. Maybe it was an obsession with the right rolling pin. Maybe it was finding the right thermometer, but like you'd identified this one aspect of this challenge that you found very sticky. And like, this is a, I'm going to solve the crap out of this problem. But like now, now the me of today would say, well, you know, do you have a gluten intolerance? Does baking really appeal to you? Like, why is it so hard for you to bake? And that's, that's the nuance. The nuance is that like, if you're not solving my, God, I haven't used this phrase in years. The, the, the thing to ask yourself whenever you're going into a situation in some ways is, am I solving the right problem at the right level for the right reasons? Because if you're not solving the right problem at the right level for the right reasons, there is really no good answer. And that takes an astonishing amount of courage because you're going to be forced to figure out the dumb thing that is actually haunting your mind, your demon-haunted world. There is something out there that is keeping you from getting close to this thing. Like, maybe you're so, maybe you're like, as I say, a perfectionist. You're so scared of this, like, that your baking is not going to be good, that you're really focused on all the things that then prevent you from ever getting that accomplished. But like, do you really like baking? Because if you really like baking, then like, why aren't you baking more stuff? And there's no way to generate that level of care and concern into what you're doing if you allow yourself to remain primarily focused on the logistics and implementation of something that you don't actually care about. And it takes a tremendous amount of like self-awareness and courage. I mean, I don't mean to make this into like a Superman thing, but it takes a lot of self-awareness and courage to say to yourself, well, maybe because I'm just really scared to write or, or maybe, you know, there's, there's something about what I'm doing that is too hard for me to deal with. And there's this other thing here that like I'm okay with dealing with. Not, not necessarily everybody, but I know I have faced that. And I think, I think that's a challenge, challenge for most people. But, you know, it doesn't excuse the fact that most to-do apps suck in some way. <laughs> but I was telling Marco, I mean, like, it's funny, like, to me, like, at this point, it's so hilarious to me, like, because I, I still like and use different things, but like, I, really, honestly, day to day, the vast majority of what I do is task paper. 
uh, which is just a markdown-ish format for a text file. I'm not selling this to you. I don't care what you use. I literally don't care what you use. I don't have any dog in this fight. But what I do is I open up that. I can open it on my phone. I can open it wherever. It's, it's a plain text format that lets me have basically a very lightly structured list of the stuff that needs to be done before I go to bed tonight. And no, no, it doesn't include reviews and it doesn't, I don't (laughs) use context. It doesn't involve any of that stuff. It means if I don't pick my kid up at school, she's going to like not be home. Like if I don't buy or gain and have it delivered, I'm going to get yelled at. If there's not toilet paper in the bathroom, there's going to be a problem. That stuff goes on the list. I tick a little box and it goes away. And my only beef is like, like I said to Marco in Slack, my only beef is like, I just need something that's kind of like task paper with reminders that merely hides stuff I don't need to know about yet. But apart from that, really a list. I'm, I'm back to where my grandmother was in like 1972. I've got a list basically essentially on a piece of paper that happens to be digital. And like the reason I stick with it and like, no, no, I don't bullet journal. No, I, I heard about things. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about things. It sounds really great. But honestly, what I need is the stuff, a list of the stuff I need to do today. And then when I'm done with it, I start again. And it's like, there's no system. The system is, here's the thing I need to do. <laughs> And then I do it, and then I'm done, and I go to bed. <laughs> so, so that brings me to bring to bring this full circle, and to, to hopefully uh, wrap it up is getting back to the smoking thing. Uh, what what I would hope to see happen in anybody who is dealing with these type of productivity issues is the kind of the same thing that happens in smoking is that eventually a series of changes whether by you or, you know, mostly by you in this case, because it's all self-hacks or whatever, change the incentive structure such that you need fewer self-hacks mm-hmm. to get things done. Like, I would like like to see that the the infrastructure, the the scaffolding, the the number of alarm clocks decrease over time. And yes, also, either your productivity stay the same or improve. But uh, if you're just constantly cycling the systems... Like it, I don't feel like you're succeeding. Even if you, even if your productivity is going up, I feel like success should be measured by how few of these things you need. So sort of like sort of like with diets, where like for whatever reason, let's forget about the million reasons this might be, but you find yourself going through not even just diets, but you're going through lots of different systems involving exercise, um, dietary stuff, right? Like where you just like feel like you're constantly failing at the succession of things that you theoretically care a lot about. Similar kind of thing. Yeah, or like I mean I don't I don't want to say that you get to the point where you can have the potato chips in the house cuz maybe that's unrealistic, but like but you get to the point where put it this way, like you say you've got five alarm clocks in a sophisticated system <laughs> and you've got seven to-do apps and you keep like like success looks like needing fewer alarm clocks, uh needing fe- needing less sophisticated systems for tracking your work and still being able to accomplish it, right? right. And if it if instead it looks like a new system you're replacing the old system with roughly the same or perhaps even more complexity that you're not actually making progress. Uh, and then in fact, you may be secretly buying the seventh and eighth alarm clock and just disguising them because they don't look like alarm clocks to you. And that <laughs> right. you, like that you want to, you want to be changing the incentive structure. Yeah. F- like find something to want to wake up for. Exactly. Right. And that, yeah. and that's like th- that, that I feel like even more than the productivity, because I mean, I, I've already, pretty much expressed my idea that i don't care how productive i am so like maybe that's the secret mm-hmm. if you can get to that place let me tell also, you you seem to have easy, a really but... good mind 
like you were talking about calendar events and stuff like that. And I was really actually really interested to hear about which events you, you said something. I, I, you were like that entire show. I think you guys, I, I felt like an elephant in the room for that whole podcast. But, but like when you talked about where you like to put things on a calendar where you're going to need it rather than like where it makes sense taxonomically. And that's because I'm old and I forget things like yeah, that. That's, no, that, that's, that's, that's a very that's recent, a that's a brilliant thing. thing that you would not think to do if you were obsessed with taxonomy. You would go like, oh, if this is about a work thing, it goes on my work calendar that I only look at at work. And it's like, well, is that when you need to think about it? Yeah. And it's a thing that I didn't have to do at all when I was in my 20s when I could remember everything. Right. right. This is, right, this is right. Part, part of getting old. It's like this. Now, all of a sudden, I need a system. I need I need some kind of I need at least one alarm clock, whereas before I could get by with zero. Like, I right. mean, we all know this. It's literal alarm clocks. We all know those people who like, I don't use an alarm clock. I just get up when I get up. I just decide when I'm going to get up and I automatically get up that way. Right. Right. Uh, I, I do need an alarm clock. But anyway, when I could remember everything in my 20s, I didn't have to write anything down. I didn't have a calendar. I never I had everything in my head at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. You know, aging. You would just remember thing, to be somewhere doesn't... at like seven o'clock on a Friday. You would just remember. And you remember like two weeks in advance. Like you'd never I have know. to write it down anymore. Yeah, being young is awesome. But <laughs> but but eventually, <laughs> enjoy, yeah, enjoy like, it so while you can. Yeah. yeah, systems to to shore up. You know, so that's that's the reverse. I just said that your system should be decreasing. Well, unfortunately, aging will cause you to increase systems. Uh, but net net, hopefully, your your number of systems uh, goes down but, over time. Well, I think you're onto something though because. Um, what does everybody say? Like you, you, you meet the guy in his fifties or sixties who has a massive, you know, coronary event. And, you know, of course that person has just been through a very, very traumatic event. Uh, they kind of all say the same thing, which is like, I, I wish I'd put stuff in place that this never would have been a problem. I wish I didn't, you know, like I've had members of my family where like by the time they're old enough that they need a knee replacement, they've gained weight, which makes it hard to exercise, which makes it, you know, you get into this cycle where, and I'm not, it's not to cast any aspersion, but like, you know, the, the thing is though, the flip side of this in some ways is like, I'm kind of glad I had that job I had where I had to learn to track my, um, track my hours down to, you know, the 15 minutes. I had to be able to account for everything that I did. And like, I'm, I don't do that today, but I'm glad I used to have to. I learned to appreciate what a calendar was. And like today, the thing I am most tightly wound about is my calendar in a way that other people find utterly like shocking. But like, I don't need to carry that in my brain. It doesn't matter if it's important. It doesn't matter if it's not important. Well, if it's not important, why would it be on the calendar? And if it is important, why is it not on the calendar? It's the easiest thing in the world where it doesn't really matter how important it is. There's only one kind of importance, which is, will this get done? Like, that sounds like a real steely-eyed kung fu kind of way to look at it, but that's what it comes down to. And if you're finding yourself, this again, back to an old topic, I guess, but like, if you find yourself struggling with like, oh, is this important? Or is this a priority? Like, you know the answer to the question. If you have to ask yourself, it's a priority, it's not a priority. If you're struggling over that, if you have five different things, and you have a co-host who often uses the word prioritize in a way that makes me crazy, but you don't prioritize between multiple things. You might force rank. You might say, this thing is more deadly than that thing. But like, you know, that's, that's the ultimate kind of clarity in some ways is to get to where any infrastructure you introduce is there to help you do a good job and to be a relaxed and, and decent human being who can take time away. Maybe sometimes, you know, maybe if, like that's me helping my daughter with her homework for 90 minutes tonight, like whatever that is. But like, just because you have a system does not mean you're good at your job. And just because you don't have a system doesn't mean that the struggle involves getting a system, you know? Yeah, and I think the the other context that people might not be aware of, but if you think about it, it's at least in the circles that I travel in in the podcast, is that a lot of the people who are talking about these things 
have aside from one of their possible jobs being to talk about productivity, which is a unique characteristic that most of their listeners don't share. Uh, they also have a characteristic that I think a lot of the listeners don't share, which is they're usually self-employed in some form. And so yeah. a lot of the extrinsic motivation of a boss of, of a structure of work or whatever doesn't exist. So everything has to be intrinsic. And so that's a lot of what they're shoring up, which is, you know, the answer to the, the snarky question of like, why is it so hard for you to work? It's like, well, if you didn't have to wake up at any specific time or go into an office or had a boss who told you what to do. Suddenly you may find that it is more difficult for you to do the things that you ostensibly want to accomplish because you're so used to having external motivation making you do them. Um, and so that right. that's true of you on your podcast. It's true of uh, of Marco on, on ATP. It's true of CGB Gray and Mike on Cortex. Like, and, you know, and the, the free agents podcast that Jason does, uh, there's lots of people who are either newly self-employed or uh, in varying degrees uh, don't have traditional jobs. And, I, you know, that's that's where and I, I honestly think that a lot of the listeners don't share that context because I assume most people have regular jobby jobs mm-hmm. where they take for granted uh, that motivation. And perhaps I always imagine people listening to, to shows uh, like that or uh, shows like Back to Work where they're not so much thinking about how can I get myself to work in the morning? At least I hope they're not because they, there's lots of important motivations to make them do that, but more like they have something in their life they want to do. Like they, they, they want to start writing a book. Oh yeah. And maybe, I mean like a classic one is they have a side thing they'd like to do. They, they have an, and like this to me is really one of the challenges that I hope something like back to work can help to address. At least when we we're not talking about comics and Netflix is that, you know, there is a barrier or there is a, kind of a hump to get over. So if you're doing a thing and like, let's say you're even good at your job. Let's say you're like a John Syracuse and you're like pretty far along in your career. Like, you know, what if there was this other thing that you wanted to try that is a different and B risky and C potentially, if not a replacement for your job, definitely like it's, it could partly supplant your job. That's, that's, that's a big, scary idea. And it's hard to even know how to vet that as a concept. And I think that is one thing that is very intriguing, not just about like what productivity app you use, but like how you make a hard decision about like what you're going to sacrifice to do this other thing, even to just vet this other thing. That's, that is a project in itself is figuring out what this other thing, you know, might be, but like it also, I mean, you know, just be a grown up. like go and listen to the shows you like and read the things you like to read and it's totally okay. Like I'm really into like my daughter does not understand the affliction of being a person who collects notebooks. That is so weird. Why would I buy notebooks and not use them? I buy them because they're a thing that I enjoy and I like having and I like looking at and I like sometimes doodling in. But like I I really honestly, I mean, there's few things that have been more liberating to me than like letting go of that idea that because I have a box full of notebooks, I'm getting closer to something apart from the aesthetics of having a box full of notebooks. <laughs> and, and like, the, the, that's a funny, maybe not 360 for me, but, like, as somebody who made his bones with, I was telling my daughter how I, one of the first things I got famous for is the idea of putting clips on index cards. Which you mm. find very, found very did, baffling. Did you show her the index card noise? <laughs> it's really a big part of your brand. Um, but... I mean, that's, that's the funny part of this. It's like, you know, take, take what works for you. Like if there, if there's parts of this that works for you, like if you encounter things from people, like that's, that's all good. And it's okay, you know, to enjoy that. But like, I don't know. I just feel like there's always, always all these ample opportunities for people to hook onto the wrong thing and then not be aware that they're hooking onto the wrong thing or the non-optimal thing. You know, that's, that's the challenging part. And that's why I feel like there is a certain amount of responsibility 
to sort of disclosing, you know, like, hey, this is my fun thing I get to do for like some part of my job. But like you wouldn't want to make people feel bad because, you know, because they got to go to a meeting now, you know. And, and in any case, like the, the, the bottom line in some ways, and this is really boring, but like what it really does come down to is like having a certain amount of courage to confront what's difficult and why. Because some things, things are difficult in your life for a reason, because that's how the world works, or that's how your career works, or that's how your interest works. We talked about the Berkeley Marathons. People don't do the Berkeley Marathons because it's easy, to paraphrase Kennedy. They do it because it's difficult. Like, that's why they do it. Like, the reason that you're in your job, one of the greatest tips I can give you is to figure out what about your job is difficult for no good reason and is changeable, versus what about your job is difficult because that's why you get paid. But and it can maybe hopefully merely be improved or merely tolerated. Like that's so critical. Like you, like, do you think you're going to fix meetings? My gut is you don't think you're going to fix meetings. You go to meetings because you got to go to meetings. <laughs> I, I you do not, not have meeting hacks meetings. that you are deploying throughout the enterprise. I am not. No, I'm probably terrible at them. And, and no, I'm not trying to so fix So you meetings. let go and let God, serenity prayer, whatever you want to call it. But like, yeah, <sighs> I mean, yes, as they said on Mad Men, that's what the money is for. <laughs> oh, Sli- you hurt Peggy. You hurt her heart. Slightly different context, but actually not that different. <laughs> would you want to have him for a boss? How would you feel about that? I would not want to have him. For yeah, me neither. No. I don't think I'd, I don't know if I'd want to work with practically anybody there. Uh, the guy who hung himself was nice. Spoilers. Yeah, he was nice. I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, sweetie. All I'm right, a, so uh, you want to know what min-maxing is. I, I, I oh, recognize no, 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 that's, that's for later. We don't have time. We're at 134. Uh, it's, it's just two seconds. I recognize I was throwing out video game terms that you didn't know. John, what is min-max and min-maxing? I'm something that the audience would know. You talk about it. I think I know what it is. I'm going to do a Dan Benjamin on now, I know what min-maxing is, but a lot of our audience may not know what mm-hmm. min-maxing is. Mm-hmm. You talk about it in things of like uh, like having resources in a video game. John Sarkusa, as you sit here today, what is min-maxing? I mostly uh, was throwing it out as a uh, an example of a sort of extreme goal-oriented strategy, right? That uh, So in, in min-maxing in video games is the video games have a set of rules, and if you play a game like a normal person like and you're you know, you're probably doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some things are more effective than others, but you're kind of doing a well-rounded thing. Very often based on uh, the, the the type of game. So if you're building a character in a game, you're going to make your character strong, but also a little bit smart. And like just to kind of make a well-rounded person, right? But a min-maxer would say, I have realized that in this game, uh, the most important thing is wisdom because it helps your spellcasting ability. And if you really put everything you have into wisdom you'll be incredibly weak in the beginning but the payoffs down the road based on the on the the game system are tremendous so i am not going to make a well-rounded character i am going to be ruthlessly goal-oriented shove everything into wisdom which is what no normal person would do because i'm a min-maxer and i all (laughs) i care about is the result i don't care about how well-rounded this character feels if this character feels like me if it's a character that i want to role play i see the system i see the matrix and i know this is what i have to do and so if you're min-maxing in productivity it's like you have some sort of goal in mind and you're like you know uh i will i will have a, a tiny uh uh sort of handheld nuclear device go off next to my bed to wake me up because i've <laughs> determined that is the maximum way you know you will always wake up it's the reliability of waking up from that is 100 percent, and everything else is 99.999 so i'm going for the tactical nuke next to the bed mm-hmm a lot of people, when you're getting up to four, five, six, that's seventh alarm clock. I, I 
you really want to treat yourself. You know what I'm saying? You want to really get, you want to get a really good one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't, 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 uh, don't cut corners on that uh, alarm clock. I, 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 this is a stupid tangent, but I fret about, I think I've talked about it. I have an alarm clock from, I guess sometime before I was married or maybe just after I was married. Anyway, it's like, what? I don't want to know. 20 mumble years old. (laughs) Right, right, right. I I don't want to think about it. But anyway, um, if it were to break and I was forced to buy another one, I don't know what I would do because, I mean, it's not a complicated alarm clock. It's a very simple one, but I like, I know where all the buttons are and everything. But you, you know, it's another version of the toaster where it's like, it seems so simple. I, I have, I have gaffers tape covering my little Sony alarm clock. Cause there's so many things on there. I never want to hit even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. No, honestly, I get for tape three dials on there because I never want to accidentally that, that hit doesn't them. make you want to go towards them more. Like I, I know what you're talking about. I only use the three buttons on <laughs> my Apollo 13 label, <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, but I am so unconsciously aware of every shape and nook and cranny of my thing that I never accidentally hit the buttons. They're like, there's like a force field around them. Right. Even no, no, they're, they're, they're state, like, they, they, this is like, I don't know. I wonder how many couples are really well served by an alarm clock, like a you know radio alarm clock that has separate. <laughs> Sorry, why separate knob? Why separate knob? No, it's not the AMPM. Where it's got you've got separate settings for two theoretical people, and those theoretical people, one of them might want an alarm, one of them might want a radio, and you might want them at separate times. The amount of crappy ass interface that goes into the ability to flip modally through all of those different things. And then on top of it, to have a dial that when you're going to just hit the snooze or hit the on, and for me, snooze is not so much to snooze, but to like have 90 minutes of radio, right? But you go and hit that, you accidentally hit this thing. And now guess what? All of a sudden you've got an alarm clock you turned on. Or now you've got a radio over here that you turned on. And it's like, who puts that right on top of the, of the stupid alarm clock and who wants it in the first place? It's terrible. Like, it, it, yeah, the, 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 the traditional design of clock radios is terrible. But mostly what I feel like I would be missing is the particular tone. I don't use the radio. I use the, the buzzer, as they call it, on these alarm clocks. Yeah. The particular tone my thing makes, which it's a fine line, because I've had alarm clocks in my life that, despite using them for months or years, would, like, terrify me awake. Right? Like, the, the, you startle awake. <laughs> right? Wow. And so that's a, and what is it that is distinguishes? Is it like a, rah, 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 like a yeah. buzzsaw? And, and, like... If you were to play them when I'm awake, I'd be like, that sound doesn't sound appreciably different than that sound. But my current buzzer alarm does not terrify me awake, which I consider an important attribute. It's not too loud. It's not too soft. It actually wakes me up, so on and so forth. Uh, and that I can successfully find all... <laughs> One of the things I have to do to my alarm clock uh, to disable it if I wake up before it so it doesn't go off when I'm like in the shower or something yeah. is a corded sequence that is like... Trying what? to do an amazing, uh, you know, uh, solo on a guitar. It's where like you're a morning going, sobriety like, test you know, combined se- with a bar chord. A, a seven fret reach where you're going <laughs> you down do with a your D- pinky. You gotta you're, do you're a D seven on your alarm clock. <laughs> and doing a hammer on with my pinky seven frets down. Right. Like, <laughs> no, and, this is the big A minor seven. <laughs> and, and and that's what I do every day. It's 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 ridiculous, but all so I can. <laughs> do you have Emacs? Is that Emacs on there? Is that what that is? Emacs doesn't have chords that are this far. It's ridiculous. And it, it and it, it literally is a chord where you have to hold down 
and then hit the other. And the best thing is if you fail to hold down essentially the modifier before you like if if you lift up on the modifier and hit the thing where the modifier is really not held down because they are like seven to ten inches apart. Yeah, it does an entirely different function that is like the opposite of what you want. Like it, oh it, it, it enables God. the other alarm instead of disabling. It's terrible. But anyway, I should just record the the buzzer sound like on my iPhone or something and then do that. Like there's probably an obvious solution to this, but I do think about it sometimes. That and the brightness of the digits. That's another oh. thing. Having <sighs> just the right brightness of the digits where it's not so bright that it's blinding you, but also mm-hmm. not so dim that you can't see it with your terrible vision, right? I have a uh, Echo Spot, which is pretty clearly to me the best of all the Echo devices so far. And it's great. But like, God, there's I have this feature request that feels so goddamn simple. My feature request is like reset the volume of the Echo device after a certain time every day. So like I might I might be you know jamming out to all things considered. You and know, you like forget to, to turn it down. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so now now actually my now I say um, this is this is so weird. I wake up in the morning and I, I go dingus volume two. And then I say, Dingus, play KQD FM. Because if I don't, it just goes, hey, KQD Live Feed, it's sponsored by... And it's like, ah! ah. Like, I, I want that thing to be very, very quiet in the morning. I don't mind turning it up, but, you know, I, I don't want to need to turn it down. That would I don't know be how people do it with, with the Siri stuff. Like, it drives me... I mean, like, sort of like Mike, Mike was saying um, in talking about the HomePod. Like, I agree with Mike. I really like that the response from... Uh, the Echo product is basically okay. Like when I say, you know, turn off the lights in the lounge, it just goes, okay. I kind of wish I could even like not have it do that after a certain hour. But like, oh yeah, I'm I'm so picky about that. As and opposed the, to it being sassy? <laughs> is, that what, is that the alternative? Just the... Sounds to me like y'all want the lights off. Mm-hmm. So Don't stupid. stub your toe in the dark. Ha ha ha. Not a robot. 